0: Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. I'm Ryan Pack and this is Soundtrack Your Life. We'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We are celebrating the two-year anniversary of the podcast, and we have a very special guest. He is an influential musician, songwriter, and soundtrack composer. He has worked on so many great TV shows and films that we're going to cover shortly. His latest project is composing music for the Showtime show Yellow Jackets with Anna Warronker. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, Craig Wedron.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Terrible twos. Terrible twos. (laughs) Got to beware. Uh,
0: I I am dealing with the terrible twos turning oh, into a three nager at home one? yeah a three nager is that the word we, yeah we've got a three nager just turned three that's hilarious um and now she's got a baby sister so um if i look like i'm falling asleep it's not because of you it's because oh, I i'm totally sleep deprived I,
1: I understand i have a i have a recently 14 year old boy in the house
0: oh that's a dif- that's a different kind of fun
1: yeah 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 it's actually great because we're starting to get into um Cool, weird movies.
0: Oh, you know, the sort nice! Of,
1: the sort of P.T. Anderson, Tarantino, se- se- seven, 70s auteurism. Uh, um, it's it's very exciting. It doesn't surprise me because my wife and I are both m- all, like inveterate movie nerds, and so it sort of makes sense that he got that it was it was in the formula. Sure, but selfishly, it is the greatest treat. Not even selfishly. It's just pure joy to watch movies.
0: Yeah. yeah. And now you can start watching movies that his daddy, uh, that his dad worked on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, he's been watching those for a while because uh, I have so many comedian friends that I came up with. My my whole college crew was the state that then went on to that they had a show on MTV in the nineties and then went on to make what hot American summer and Reno 911 and a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's all stuff that he's been watching now for years, but, but it's that it's that it's only been very recently that I think he started to appreciate kind of, the he he's a musician too to sort of appreciate the music that I've made without just kind of poo-pooing it because I'm his dad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, automatically there's going to be a degree of that. But every right. once in a while, every once in a while I'll feel chuffed because he'll just be like, I just heard this song that you did. It's really cool. I'm like, well, thanks for your seal of approval, son. <laughs> it's so sad it's like the, the highest compliment that we are so desperate and thirsty for is the of our children
0: sure so speaking of being 14 years old that's about the time where i discovered your music really yeah um so i went to go see the foo fighters on their first headlining show uh, first headlining tour yeah and shudder to think uh went on before them yeah that's right what what where were you Uh, in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And your music stuck with me. I didn't really know a lot about your band beforehand. And obviously in like the mid nineties, I couldn't just go on streaming to hear your music before I went in. And I was really proud of myself because it was like the first time where I was having like musical opinions on my own like Mm -hmm, sure i didn't i didn't know anything about your band i didn't have um a rolling stone article to tell me to check Uh your band out or you know you guys weren't on our radio station or anything like that or my older siblings weren't telling me and you know i was like sitting through your set and like somewhere in the middle like everything kind of clicked and i was like oh Mm -hmm. this is actually really good And even though not everyone here is feeling it, like they're missing out, because this is actually really good music.
1: Thank you so much. um, You can and and also you can be perfectly honest with me because I know sometimes "Shudder to Think" on first listen was, um, you know, it was it was a polarizing experience for audiences and audience members and you know i've talked to a lot of people who have said i hated you the first time that i heard you and you know now it's some of my favorite music which is certainly the way that many of my favorite artists kind of creep crept crept in you know sneaking through the back door of, of my skull and making me wonder whether it was ugly or beautiful and then being um a fan for the rest of my life. So to hear you say that you it only took half a set is very, very <laughs> flattering. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I think at first I thought you were all playing different songs at the same time. Yeah, there is that
1: aspect to some of our music.
0: <laughs> but then like it all kind of came together and then it kind of like blows your mind when like it all clicks.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
0: It's just like
1: let's call it like an idiosyncratic jigsaw puzzle where the pieces they fit together and they're custom made to fit together but they don't seem like they should or necessarily are until you kind of get the right vantage point and it's like oh it's a map
0: yeah and if you've been like basically just listening to the radio your entire life mm-hmm. it takes a little bit of time to kind of yeah. Yeah. understand that it doesn't you know, it's going to fit in a different way than you're expecting.
1: Yeah, that's right. But the truth is, we all we all come, but we at Shudder to think, all come from and came from radio, too. We're just American boys who lapped up whatever was coming over the airwaves. So underneath the idiosyncrasy are I I always felt like there was a sort of classicism, not in terms of like classical music, but just in terms of like radio, classic rock, like like sound sturdy melodies. It's just we like to smash it against the wall and and you know turn it like make balloon animals out of it.
0: Right, and when you guys uh, came out with Fifty Thousand B C, you kind of see some more like traditional sort yeah, of sounding totally. songs. <laughs>
1: Well, it was interesting because after Pony Express record, which was our first major label album and arguably our most difficult uh, for first time listeners, but also are, I think our most popular, but on a major label, they really need to sell a lot of records in order to make back their investment. And we knew that when we made the jump from discord to epic but we really wanted to try and uh, reach as wide an audience as possible with precisely what we were doing that said after pony express record didn't do as well as the label had wanted it to there was sort of a sit down and a okay boys here's your assignment we need some hits and we're sort of up For the challenge, again, having come from radio, we always felt like we could write pretty direct, accessible, melodic stuff. But you do get into your own habits, whatever they are. And so to kind of undo our songwriting habits to try and do something more direct was really, really fun and also didn't work commercially. Which was when we, which was when we decided to veer into uh, composing music and writing songs for movies.
0: So your first project, at least that I'm aware of, was First Love, Last Rights. Correct. uh, Which is celebrating its 25th anniversary.
1: That's crazy. I wonder when that is. Like soon, now, this year. This year. Yeah, it was this year that's really wild i wonder if we have i mean there were, we recorded so much stuff for that only um uh, you know the the soundtrack albums worth of which has seen the light of day it could be fun to dig back in and release all the demos
0: selfishly i would like to see a box set of seven inches of those songs but i know
1: i know we wanted to do that at the time but there were um there were budgetary limitations
0: So that soundtrack was the companion piece to the film, which was directed by Jesse Pretz, who you worked with when you were uh, in Shudder. Well, I guess you were still in Shudder to Think at the time. Correct. Um, You worked with Jesse, I believe, on some visuals for Pony Express Record.
1: Yeah, Jesse, um, we became friendly with Jesse, actually, uh, Shudder to Think, the original Discord lineup. We did a podcast yesterday um, about an. one of our discord records called funeral at the movies. And we were going through um, a list of tour dates of European tour dates from right around then, because we recorded that album in London at the end of tour. And I noticed that one of the shows that we played in England was at a place called the Duchess of Leeds, which was this great um, pub and venue. And Remembered that that was the first time that we ever met Jesse Peretz because he was originally a bass player for the Lemonheads,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the show that we and we played with Lemonheads at Duchess of Leeds. It was Jesse's last show with the Lemonheads, and he lit his suitcase on fire after the set out in front of the venue, and never looked back. And then moved on to um, directing videos for a lot of different bands. And then subsequently making movies, Jesse, um, Jesse and I became roommates later. And then Nathan and he were roommates. So it was all very familial and natural. Actually, I think I think Jesse and I were living together when he got the green light to make the movie First Love, Last Rights, which which is a movie based on a short story by Ian McEwan, I believe. And um, one of the characters in it has a collection of. Forty fives singles in all different genres from all different eras. And so Jesse, who again, didn't have the um, licensing budget to actually get real songs from the 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond. So he, I I remember specifically him walking into my bedroom or us having a conversation. He was like, Hey, would you guys want to do this? Create the record collection of one of the characters from this movie, and it was perfect because it it was precisely the moment where we were really really tired of the um, album touring promotional cycle, and it was it was wreaking havoc on our friendships on our enthusiasm for just the creative process which had always come so naturally for us and so um we owe a great great debt of thanks to jesse
0: and i remember uh when the soundtrack was announced you had all these different guest vocalists on it jeff buckley the late jeff yeah. buckley Liz fair billy corgan Robert zander yeah um how did you uh get all of those people involved
1: well we had some juice at the time we were we were a very well respected you know not wildly commercially successful but um we were sort of a band's band like we were very well respected by like bands and artists and um we were on epic records so we thought well why don't we we, meaning mostly me and the guitar player in Shutter to think at the time, Nathan Larson, who's also um, a composer of note at this point, we decided that he and I would really hunker down and just like write all these songs, like a Johnny Cash kind of a song, a David Bowie kind of a song, a Zombies kind of a song. And we would sing them and then through our record label and different contacts we had in the industry beginning with great singers who were already friends of ours. So Jeff Buckley was a dear friend of ours and um, Angela McCluskey was a dear friend of, um, of Jesse and Matt Johnson from the, the was a dear friend of Angela's. And so it became this kind of puzzle of who, you know, And once, oh, and Billy was uh, from Smashing Pumpkins was a dear friend. They had um, graciously taken us out on tour and brought us um, on Lollapalooza in 94 when they were co-headlining, I think, with Beastie Boys. But um, so once we got Billy and Jeff, the rest of the dominoes sort of fell pretty easily and it allowed um our record label and other artist friends to kind of reach out to other people john doe is huge for us because x is sort of collectively we're to thanks one of their favorite bands one of our favorite bands and so um it was really very thrilling i remember having remember having a conversation with robin zander somebody had organized it he said he was interested But I needed to pitch it to him. And um, I remember standing in the living room of my then girlfriends in my apartment on 10th between A and B in uh, Alphabet City in New York. And... I must have just gotten out of the shower or something but i was like stark naked and there was like a mirror on one side of the living room and i'm sitting here talking to absolutely one of my all-time vocal heroes i think robin zander has one of the most naturally gorgeous rock and roll voices in history and i like i consider myself a pretty decent singer but we used to try and cover cheap trick songs occasionally and they're just you you realize what what an extraordinary instrument this guy has when you like actually try and sing a cheap trick song not in a drunken karaoke way but like in a serious <laughs> time. right and so i just remember being on the phone and ca- catching myself in the mirror stark naked talking to robin zander and just mouthing to myself oh my god what the fuck oh my god what the fuck i'm talking to robin zander this is insane and so the whole thing was kind of like that i also remember there was this kind of um, Hawaiian ukulele lullaby that I'd written that I thought would be pure perfect for, there were only two voices I could hear for it. One was Bjork and the other was Nina Parison from the Cardigans and Bjork's manager or assistant, maybe personal manager at the time was a Shudder to Think fan and sort of friendly acquaintance. And so she sort of, granted me audience for 10 minutes like while bjork was hanging out at some bar or something some fancy (laughs) club and so i put together this whole pitch and you know it had like a cd in it and lyrics and a description of the project and i remember my her, her manager said to me she was like listen you you're gonna have it was like going to see the godfather she's like you only have 10 minutes you gotta like get in and out and really make it count okay okay i have faith in you i believe in you go do it go get bjork and i walked in there and it was one of the couple times in my life where i absolutely froze up i mean i completely botched the entire thing i started sweating and i um couldn't find piece two words together and i was like trying to play it cool but of course i think i came off as probably dead inside (laughs) (laughs) and um and it turned out that it was a a blessing in disguise because we wound up getting nina Pearson from the cardigans and nina and nathan the guitar player and shutter to think fell in love and have been married ever since and have a family and so I was ha- I was happy to, in retrospect, I'm happy to have sacrificed um, my moment with Bjork for true, for true love, <laughs> for my friend's true love.
0: Well, maybe it was, you can look at it as it was, it was meant to be, right? To be.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah, I I remember going to college and like, just basically asking people like, hey, do you like music? Oh, you like music? Have you heard the first <laughs> Love, Last right soundtrack? Oh, really? That's so cool. Like I just love that soundtrack, and I think I got a lot of people into it because that Jeff Buckley track that kicks off that record is just such a powerhouse.
1: Yeah, totally beautiful. Um, That's uh, uh, Nathan wrote that song. Nathan wrote "I Want Someone Badly," which Jeff sang, and "Speed of Love," which John Doe sang. And they're just they're perfect. My one regret, particularly with my um, songs off that record. I was sort of lazy with the follow through on the um, on the production and arrangement for some of them. Like we recorded these demos and I was sort of like, "Ah, eh, it's good enough. <laughs> and Nathan, to his credit, was like, "No, no, no, we need to. He's like, I'm at least doing my songs right. <laughs> We're going to get into a studio and actually record them properly. And I remember we recorded. I think most of the songs off that were demos, um, you know, that we recorded at mine and Nathan's apartment. But "I Want Someone Badly," "Speed of Love," "Automatic Soup," the um, the uh, Robin Zander song, and I think maybe the Liz Fair song were ones that um, that we recorded in in proper studios. For some of them, like Robin Zander was living in Florida, and Liz, I don't know where Liz was at the time. She might have been on tour, but. Um, You know, we were sending things around and it was before you could just send files easily. So we're sending tapes and CDs and sing along to this. And we booked you some studio time somewhere in Memphis, you know. So it was a little bit catch as catch can, but we honestly felt like the, the, the concept for the project and the, and the, like those stars were not going to just align. So we needed to take advantage of it in any way that we could.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, if you had the opportunity to, like, kind of direct these performances, but it sounds like you weren't even there some of the time.
1: Some of them we were able to direct, like, um, I worked with Jeff and John in the, um, you know, for I Want Someone Badly and Speed of Love, like, on their vocals, because we did them in New York. Um, But Robin Zanders, he did in Florida. Liz is, I don't remember how Liz did it um billy i think we sent it to him alan and mimi mimi is that her name from low yeah i think we sent it to them too they're in the mass midwest, midwest somewhere i don't remember i would have to i would have to look at it and see A- angela angela i think we did we did together for um day diddy and nina 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 was in sweden she just killed it like she required no direction she knew exactly what to do
0: i mean everyone sounds like they did a great job on the yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree.
1: But I wasn't sure if it was just like they got a demo of you singing. and they, uh, In a lot of cases, they got a demo of me, um, for the most part, me, on. in some cases, Nathan singing, and they redid it. And then anybody who either was in New York or who we could afford to bring to New York who had the time, um, like John Doe, we worked with in person.
0: Very right, cool. Mm-hmm. And then with um, the high art soundtrack is very different from first love last rights. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. more of a, more of a score. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, and I remember there's like drum machines and, you know, different things that. Yeah.
1: Well, it was 98 ish. I think both of those movies were around 98. And so trip hop was happening and the sort of first wave of, the kind of experimental electronic stuff that um, like Warp Records was starting to do. And I was very, very taken with all that stuff. Both Nathan and I are big ambient music fans and um, uh, creators. Like even when we were teenagers in high school together, we would hang out at my house with my four track and make sort of experimental ambient, occasionally beat driven, but that sort of didn't Enter in until around High Art, which is such a narcotic kind of a movie. It was interesting. I remember we met with Lisa Cholodenko, who's still one of my best friends, uh, the director, writer, director of High Art. And it was sort of, there was this really exciting moment happening in the New York independent film scene where people like Lisa or Jesse or Todd Haynes were all um, kind of making their first movies. And there was a lot of crossover between bands, or or, or I should say the the strict delineation between being a band person or a song person or a conservatory person or a classical person or a, a movie score person. It was all sort of melting down and a lot of the people who were starting to make those movies had also come from punk and alternative so there was no stigma so we could go into a meeting well obviously we knew jesse and so that was easy that was friends but we could go into a meeting with somebody like lisa or todd haynes and actually be taken seriously um even though we were we were coming more from the alternative experimental rock world. And I remember we met with Lisa and watched her movie and it didn't have, she, um, I don't know if she still does, but she edited it with no music. So there's no, what's called temp music, which usually people cut picture to music and they'll just grab whatever's in their, in their, you know, whatever they think is appropriate. And then the composer winds up replacing the temp music with original score. But in this case, Lisa, it was, it was, um, there was no music in it, as I recall. And while I was watching it, I just, the entire time, I was like, I know exactly what to do with this movie. And I took it home. And we no more knew how to properly score a film than we knew how to, you know, build a rocket to the moon. We just sort of (laughs) used whatever we had on hand and we would stick a VHS tape in the machine and watch the scenes and have our little keyboard and sampler or guitar or whatever and kind of play along to it and then just record it into an 8-track. And so I remember at the time, we had these Kurzweil sampling keyboards, which were great because you could record a sample into it and it would just kind of spread it out over the whole keyboard and then you could play the samples. And I remember going home, I was so excited and inspired and blown away by high art. It was exactly what I wanted to do. And I was like, this is wine glasses and trip hop, like ambient wine glass score and trip hop and beats. And so I I went home again to, to our apartment on 10th between A and B and just Sampled a bunch of wine glasses and and started writing the stuff in and it. And, and it turned into just a really, um, uh, hand in glove fit with what was happening on screen. It was sort of transcendent and kind of narcotic and sensual and, and like a little spooky. And to this day, I still tend to use wine glasses in lieu of, or in addition to strings. Um, Okay. They just swim around a little bit more. There there's um, I find them still to be like super evocative. Interestingly though, not pre-existing wine glass libraries. It's I, I find that it's only when I sample my own that they get that um, texture or that soul or that grit to it. It's one of those mysterious things. <laughs>
0: That's that's fascinating. Yeah. I think you're the first person that I've talked to that talked about their use of wine glasses. and Yeah, I love wine glasses. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, so you were talking about Todd Haynes. Um, we've covered Velvet Goldmine for the podcast already. It seems like there's a brand new appreciation for this movie that I've been seeing lately. That makes me so happy.
1: I want to go back and watch it. I feel <laughs> like, you know, my son's 14 and he's at, least not entirely disinterested in the work that i do so it might be a good time to watch it might make him uncomfortable there's so much um overt sexuality and full
0: frontality (laughs) (laughs) yes there's definitely that so did todd haynes bring you to the project or is this uh Like a Randall Poster move, we've talked about Randall Poster quite a bit. It was was a
1: Randall Poster thing. I don't remember how we first fell in with Randy. Oh, that you know what? That's so funny. He he actually just to digress for a sec. Randall's current one of his he always has many irons on the fire, but he um he's about to release like an eighteen LP bird song. Uh, awareness and fundraiser for the Audubon Society and for birds that are um, um, in trouble, endangered. Mm -hmm. And he reached out to, you know, a couple hundred, 120, I don't know how many artists, all to write original songs inspired by or based on birds, for which I contributed a song that I love so much. And the project is called "For the Birds," and I think it comes out like maybe even next week. I think there was like a Times article about it yesterday. So Randy, who's like one of my favorite Madmen, somehow came into our sphere at the time, and I, and I don't quite remember how, but um, he's he has a golden ear and a and a brilliant um, uh, warped. Uh, lens through which he hears and sees things and um so he i guess once they found out that they were not going to be allowed to license bowie songs he tapped shutter to think knowing we were huge bowie fans to write a couple songs that were loosely influenced, inspired by, and otherwise, you know, worshipful of David Bowie, which we were only too glad to do. I think, I think ours are the only originals. I'm not sure. I think the rest are covers on the record. Yeah. But, but there, there might be one or two other originals. Um, like the Buffalo Tom song might be an original. I don't remember. But, um, yeah, so that was uh, a real for us and in retrospect like I will say at the time I thought this is a terrible idea you, <laughs> you know these are what holy cows holy grails holy, holy things that right. um, you can only ruin fuck up or otherwise sort of besmirch and how wrong I was like and how right randy was i've had that experience with him a couple times where he's like shut up kid i know what i'm doing
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm so relieved that that randall poster is someone that is like we've covered i think five movies where he's the, the music supervisor yeah. and i'm glad that you're, you're the first person who's actually worked with them i'm glad that it's not like oh he's just this guy that does contracts no or like oh, i've never actually met him
1: no he is he's he's an, he's an artist Okay. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a very unique artist because, you know, I don't know that there's a, um, a job description quite for what his genius gift is, but he's, he's a real deal. In okay. My, in my experience.
0: Because I'd have to do a lot of apologizing on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's great. Um, so he also brought you in for School of Rock.
1: Yeah, he brought me in for School of Rock, too. Um, Some years later, he called me up and he said, Hey, I'm doing this movie. It's Mike White and Jack Black. And it's going to be amazing. It's a rock and roll movie. And we need not a ton of score, just a little bit of score. And it needs to kind of be metal alternative. And also... um, could you write a cheesy power ballad in the style of creed for (laughs) the battle of the band sequence? And again, I was like, but of course. (laughs) And again, I remember with that one too, I was like, no, I don't, I don't remember what I was responding to, but I was like, is this, is this going to be any good? Like, I, I can't tell. I hadn't seen anything or I didn't know much about um, Mike White or Jack Black at the time. And he was just like, dude, shut up. This is going to be great. Wait till you see it. And again, it was just like a magical gift from space. And then I um, I was sort of the, the band wrangler for all of the, the PR that they did afterward because they were playing on um you know late night shows and 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 doing appearances here and there and so i would sort of i was kind of the liaison between the parents of the band the kids in the band the production and i would kind of run rehearsals essentially kind of doing jack's stuff and making sure the band was all good so that jack could just kind of come in and like do the performance you know or do like a rehearsal in the performance and it was such a trip and it was the best and it it like it really combined my experience being a band leader from shutter to think days or band you know sort of lead like front person in a band and um having been a counselor at summer camp which ties into wet hot american summer right and um and yeah and 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 just really enjoying like and have and having been in cover bands that were basically just like that band you know from age 12 to to whenever shutter to think started at like age 17. so so that was really dreamy and really really fun
0: so speaking of this kind of band liaison position, I was looking through your IMDb and you have a credit as a vocal coach on Anchorman? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is very funny. I was, what are we
1: here for? I, actually, I think, I, I don't remember what the what the years were on that, but I have a hunch. My wife and I were here in Los Angeles working with the School of Rock Band, like I was rehearsing with them being the band liaison, and our friend Paul Rudd was staying at the same hotel as us because he was in town. We we knew Paul from Wet Hot, yep. and a couple of years before, or that's how we became friends. And um, Paul was in Los Angeles shooting Anchorman, and we literally just ran into him in the hallway. And he was like, "Oh my God, great, Craig! Okay, here's what's going on. We need to do." Um, a, an acapella version of afternoon delight. Can you like figure out all the parts and record them and send them to the whole cast and then come uh, to the lot and just like work with everybody just, you know, real quick. And again, it was one of those great moments, uh, those magic gifts where I was like, oh, but of course I can do that. And then I got <laughs> to, like, you know, I mean, I grew up with uh, uh, afternoon delight, the starlight band, I think is the, mm-hmm band from when it was probably popular when i was like seven or six or something but it's so different to take the watch apart for songs like that that you don't you know them but you never i don't think i ever thought about that song more than just it sort of breezed by on the radio so to break it down and turn it into like what like a four-part harmony um barbershop quartet version of it was A, so fun and so um, absurd. And then and then I sent it to, to the cast and then just showed up on set one day and we just all got together in a trailer. None of, they really didn't need me, in my opinion. They're all great singers. And like, they pretty much knew what they were doing. I mean, I guess maybe the parts that I split out helped them but the gift for me was just getting to hang out in a trailer with these masters of comedy and listen to them just have a personal concert for half an hour of them singing um starlight band (laughs) (laughs) just for me it was the best
0: i was i was totally hoping that is exactly why they brought you in for vocal coach i was like i I, i'm hoping it was afternoon delight yeah yeah it was afternoon delight that's so awesome Uh uh-huh Um, So you've been working with the state, the members of the state ever since they had the sketch show. I didn't realize that you uh, worked on the theme for the sketch show.
1: Yeah, that's right. So David Wayne, uh, who directed white hot American summer and was part of the state. And I, it, it, it all connects. So David Wayne, a writer named Stuart Blumberg, who, um, who is now one of Lisa Cholodenko's writing partners, and I, have been best friends since we were like two or four or something like that from Cleveland. David and I went to NYU together, and first day of freshman orientation met Ken Marino, also a member of the state and a brilliant actor in his own right and director. We all became roommates. And they became part of this comedy group. That interestingly, do you know the children's book author Mo Willems?
0: I don't think so.
1: You will. He's like Dr. Seuss level popular, sort of now. Um, he he wrote he wrote Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus and. Um, Oh, I can't think of his. A Nuffle Bunny is like a huge book of his. Like in a couple years, you'll start seeing him everywhere. It's like, you know, five-ish. Okay, is I'm, I'm writing him. his name down. Yeah, yeah, Mo Willems. He's great. He had this comedy group. He must have been a year older than us or so. And David and Ken, I think, joined the group. I don't remember quite what happened, but it it morphed into this... Like black box sketch comedy troupe called the New Group, which then became the State, and they got a show on MTV right after we graduated. Meanwhile, I had for the last two years of high school um, been in Washington D.C. I moved from Cleveland to Washington D.C. in 11th grade, which is where Shutter to Think formed. Mm-hmm. So by the time David and I uh, went to NYU, Shutter to Think was just putting out its like, first couple records, like a single and the first record, which was particularly then in you know, 1987, very Im- impressive and like real official seeming. So I was in an experimental theater program doing, doing actually a lot of um, sound installation stuff stuff that would sort of relate to high art or even yellow jackets style wise but uh, most of my friends like david and ken and, and and their comedy group which would include tom lennon and Joe trulio and mike jan and carrie Kenny, they they became my crew and they needed music they were a lot of more film students they were making student films and they were doing these live comedy shows. So even if it was just sound design sometimes, I think I was the sort of default de facto music guy that they knew, because I actually had records and I had a band and I would take off and go on tour sometimes. And so I kind of got my start scoring things loosely, unconsciously, very organically, in college with the crew that would become the state and with whom I still work. I, I, I'm, I'm scoring a movie right now that Michael Jan just directed. Um, I just talked to Ken this morning. We're always batting ideas around Tom, I, Tom Lennon. Um, I wound up m- meeting, falling in love with and marrying his sister, you know, so it, it's really still the same crew and, and it's quite, wonderful I gotta say
0: so I guess it wasn't like a surprise when you guys worked together for Wet hot American summer
1: no it wasn't a surprise although it was was interesting because um, Michael Showalter who co-wrote and starred in wet-hot and is now like producing and directing everything um, in theaters and on TV he he went to Brown I think for a year or two from NYU And he had a Brown crew, which included the composer Theodore Shapiro, who came from a a more traditional like conservatory, like, like I was very untrained because I was coming from a rock and punk background. And he was coming more from a classical background. And so it turned out to be sort of a, a a perfect, um, a, a perfect, yin yang of skill sets right? very very complimentary and so Teddy so, so I did the theme for the state and would score skits that were either more um, rock pop or experimental collage based and Teddy tended to do the more um, you know like porcupine racetrack the like traditional composition stuff composition-based stuff so when wet hot happened it was a natural fit particularly because of what wet hot is which is this riot of pop music traditional score pop score parody songs that um that teddy and i uh Collaborate on it, and it turned into this really wonderful friendship and collaboration that still continues to this day. We still like to work on things together. In fact, Teddy scored the pilot for Yellow Jackets, and it couldn't couldn't do it when it went to series, and so I wound up being asked to do it, and then brought Anna on, with whom who's a collaborator I'd been working with and adore, um, and so it turned into this really interesting, almost like book end, you know, if you take wet hot on the one side and yellow jackets, obviously very different beasts on the other side, um, sort of a, an unintentional collaboration, you know, where Teddy did the pilot stuff Anna and I did the rest of the, of the series and we were getting to, to, um, you know, mix and match our paint colors, which is always a joy to do.
0: And you worked with Anna before on Shrill, right?
1: Yeah, Anna and I worked on Shrill and we worked on a TV show called The Republic of Sarah. Anna and I met maybe five or six years ago through a mutual friend and we were both parents at the same school. Our kids were at the same school. and um, but, but we met at a party and I knew of her band, That Dog, from the 90s because they were sort of another kind of culty, slight weirdo pop band, but from Los Angeles. Right. And we were sort of a culty alt rock weirdo band from the East Coast. And so um, there was just a, there was a really, it was sort of love at first sight, you know, it was it, very similar sensibilities, very parallel paths and stories. And um, so I knew Oftentimes when I meet somebody who's going to be a big part of my future, I know it immediately. And I have to restrain myself from telling that person what a big part of the future we're going to be. because <laughs> It can creep them out. But, right. um, but I'm frequently right. And um, I remember at that party, I was like, Oh, okay. Anna And I are going to do stuff together. This is going to be great. I'm not going to say anything. Cause I don't want to freak her out. And, then gradually that transpired and and we started looking for shows to do together and it's definitely like a you know another one of those uh just sort of familial um gifts of a of a collaboration it's it's really great very complimentary you know finish each other's musical sentences be able to Lovingly, constructively, but but clearly and firmly criticize each other's ideas, <laughs> which is vital. You know, all we need to do now is uh, start a band together. We sort of treat our our TV and movie collaborations as band projects. We're like, oh, this is our horror record. Or like, this right. is our all-pop comedy record.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really great that you guys have gotten a lot of recognition for what you've done on Yellow Jackets. Thank you. I mean, 20 years ago, I think you should have been getting a lot more recognition, but i it now. Thank you. Uh, so I want to talk about your uh, collaboration with Jefferson Friedman. Not exactly okay. soundtrack related, but I Thank think you me. you guys are working together now on uh, New Amsterdam, right?
1: Yeah, we've done a lot of soundtracks together. New Amsterdam, TV show called A to Z. Did he work on Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23? I'm not sure. But yeah, we, we've worked on a bunch of stuff together and, uh, and a couple of movies. And, and then... Uh, a few recording projects as well.
0: Yeah, I saw you at the Walt Disney Concert Hall perform a couple of songs from um, your project with him. Yeah, on "In Love." And <laughs> that was a wild one. Yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah. I remember during intermission, I, th- I don't think you had gone on yet, and uh, my wife saw Thomas walk by, uh-huh. and then a few minutes later, uh, Ken Marino walked by. Yeah, yeah, he Emma, brought the whole crew. Emma, and my wife was like, wow, I, we usually don't see so many, like, famous people at these shows. And I was, and I don't know, like, I, I, I'm I a fan of everyone, but, like, I don't know anyone. Mm-hmm. But just with 100% confidence, like, they're, they're, they're like us. We're here to see Craig.
1: <laughs> That's really sweet. That makes me feel very happy.
0: <laughs> I mean, they could have been there to see other people. Like, the whole program was fun. They definitely were not there to see other people. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, they're, they're like us. They're just like us. Right, Do I
1: know that? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, Jefferson is a brilliant composer. He's doing he's doing a lot of stuff on his own now. He's doing um oh, what's the it's an animated DC series. Oh come on. Um Batman Batman female nemesis Joker. Joker's girlfriend. Oh,
0: Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn. Yeah, sorry. yeah.
1: He's doing the he's doing the Harley Quinn series, which is um, really good, really, really. Yeah, good.
0: Yeah, very
1: cool. But Jefferson, it's interesting. He was, um, you know, also more of a coming from a more classical conservatory angle. Um, he and Stuart Hill, the bass player in Shutter to Think, were roommates at a certain point in the nineties in New York City, and we needed a touring keyboard player for, I think, the soundtrack stuff. I think when we did a a First Love, Last Rights tour. And so um, Jefferson became our keyboard player for a while. And I remember being on a flight either to or from San Francisco for one of our shows. And this was sort of when Shudder to Think was already, I think, knowing that we were going to be breaking up or splintering somehow. And I remember being on the flight and i had a lot of sort of experimental leaning toward modern classical stuff i was doing of my own and he had his stuff that he was composing and we were we were doing show and tell on this airplane and i remember we made a pact on that flight to collaborate on something together um which then came to fruition with you know 15 years later or whatever it was with uh on in love which is a record that i love so much And i'm so proud of and i i i just don't know if anybody knows about it someday someday
0: i mean it seems like there's a trend with you where you'll work on something and then people will appreciate it like 10 to 15 years later i
1: hope so you know i i feel i feel pretty passionately about the things that i work on i put a lot of like love and intention loving intention and integrity into it um And it's definitely easy at times to feel like I'm insane because I feel like my friends and I have made these special things that, um, you know, are like farts in the wind, like absolutely or pisses in the ocean where nobody knows that they even exist. Um, so it's really, really encouraging to hear you say that because, um, you know, sometimes we all sit there scratching our heads and particularly now, I mean, it's, it's virtually impossible to know how to, um, break through the, the, the sheer volume of content noise. Um, which is why TV and movies are wonderful because like, it's, I I don't have to worry about it. You know, it's like, it's up to a studio. Um, and, and is why I'm so thrilled about the recognition that Yellow Jackets is getting because it's, its music uh and collaborations that i'm extremely proud of and would love to be making and sharing with people under any circumstances you know whether it was a craig wedron anna warunker record album project or just like live noise improvisation like uh, to have the stars align and have it all come together where It's a great job. It's great people. It's super creative. The show's awesome. We love it. When we were making it, we were like, hopefully the world will love this as much as we do. But both Anna and I have been um, had so many uh, projects and occasions where we felt certain that everybody's going to love it. And the, I mean, Wet Hot is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. We made Wet Hot and we were positive that it was like the greatest thing since sliced bread and was going to like change the pace of comedy and it made $300 opening weekend and it took it was, a, it was a low budget movie, like a million maybe, and it took over a decade to make its budget back. Um, now everybody consider, considers it sort of like, whatever, canon or something, but um, It really was a dud for a long time. So I think, you know, there's a little bit of that, like whipped horse twitchiness that we all have, which is like, eh, let's not count our chickens before they're hatched or invest too much into, you know, how successful or not successful or how something is received. So when it does click, like with Yellow Jackets, it's just such a joy. It's really cool.
0: How gratifying was it to be able to come back to Wet Hot American Summer for those Netflix sequels? Oh my God,
1: it was the best. Particularly that first season. is like, I think if anything better than the movie. It certainly has good, for me. I just think it's like everybody firing on all cylinders with no time to um, think twice. Which in in that case it it worked and it's
0: yeah <laughs> it was a I I agree it was, it's just as good as the movie if not yeah. better. Uh, my favorite scene in in that season is when Chris Pine you know writes higher and higher and then midway through like everyone all just immediately knows all the words to the yeah, song. Yeah. everybody knows the words. They're just standing down there because of course it's always been in us. <laughs> I remember showing my wife the movie for the first time and I huh. you know I think it was like a shudder to the thing song where at first it was like what is this yeah, yeah, but by yeah. the end of it I was like oh this is actually really really funny. Yeah yeah yeah
1: and it 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 stands up it bears multiple 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 viewings there's so many little details especially in the series cuz it's so much faster cuz um like when 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 we made Wet Hot it was 2000 I don't remember when it was shot, 99, 2000. And and editing styles were just slower then. So 15 years later, for streaming services, the, the sheer density and volume and velocity of jokes, I mean, I could watch that first season, you know, just loop it just keep looping it and see different things every time, appreciate different things every time.
0: Was it kind of a win for you that they finally released the soundtrack?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was very happy. Both Teddy and I were very happy about that. Um, You know, we, again, it's one of those things where we were so juiced about it at the time. So that by the time the soundtrack came out, it was like, I don't know. I, I think we were sort of, like, oh, oh, that's great. Now, <laughs> okay, we'll take it. You know, I mean, we love it. The The packaging is beautiful. And there was a lot of care and attention that was put into it from a fan's perspective. By the time it came out, that probably would not have been the case had we released it at the same time as the movie. Right. You know, so that that was a good thing. It's like very much like a fan's... It's, it's a collectible.
0: Yeah, my friend David has a uh, vinyl soundtrack YouTube channel, and I told him that I was going to interview you, and he was like, I've got what Hot American Summer on vinyl. That's awesome. Uh, right, I'm going to let Craig know. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's good. It's a good vinyl package. It's nice. So as an Asian American, the show Fresh Off the Boat is a big deal to me, and you did the music for that show. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Did you also do the theme with Danny Brown, or is that something kind of separate?
1: No, no. Actually, I wrote a different theme. Um, which was more akin to the kind of '90s hip hop comedy score that we were doing—that sort of like um, beats and beats and strings, 808s and pizzicato. Um, but once <laughs> once we heard that once we heard that Danny Brown thing, it was just such a slam dunk. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you had told me that you worked with Danny Brown on that theme song, I think my yeah. brain would just like exploded. It just been too much for me. I know. Me too. Me too. It's like such a very specific thing. You know, it's like, okay, you got this Asian American family and Craig Wedwin's doing the music and Danny Brown's doing the theme song. I was like, I feel like this is very catered to like just me. and Right, right. Maybe it's a like d- five a dem-
1: people, a demographic of one.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's great. Yeah, that's a that's a sweet show. I
0: I, I miss it. Yeah, I mean it I'm glad that it got as many seasons as it did. Yeah, me, too. And, me I, too. and I never got tired of seeing your name in the credits. Thank you. Thank you. Like is it is it weird for you to see like Johnny Greenwood doing scores now, or did you think that was a pretty I, logical I mean, step for him? I think I
1: think Johnny Greenwood's scores are wonderful. It strikes me that a lot of his scores a lot of them feel to me like music that he writes that then gets used over picture, uh, rather than like scoring beats, scoring dramatic beats, which um, which I think is often uh, often leads to really magnificent um, synergetic accidents. Um, that you wouldn't get if you were, you know, more pointillistically traditionally scoring a scene. Um, sometimes, and and then conversely, sometimes I wish that specific beats and moments in his in the movies he scores uh, were. Were more that there was more attention paid to like actually scoring um, relationships, beats, moments, details. Like so, sometimes I feel like I need a little more direction than I'm getting, and sometimes I love that it's it's so um, free feeling. But um, I mean, he he's he's wonderful. I mean, he's obviously like extraordinarily musical. Do I get pissy? And like frustrated, you know, that, you know, he, he and, and, and other band types, but actually, probably mostly Johnny Greenwood lately, you know, coming from similar backgrounds, um, are having such pro- high profile careers where, you know, back to what we were talking about, you and I, a few minutes, few minutes ago that it seems to take so long for people to, for some of the stuff that I work on to land or connect with people is that frustrating to me and does that make me grumpy and pissy like a little baby yes does it does it always make me grumpy and pissy no mostly i'm just psyched for him i think it's awesome it's like which is to say like it's not it's not against him it's like it's more it's more like dang come on people perk up your ears, prick up your ears. So, you know, sometimes I get frustrated by comparison, but generally I feel so happy with my life and the projects I get to work on and music I get to make and the people I get to do it with. i mean, like, I really have nothing to complain about, you know? And, and, and I love that his popularity makes it easier. Again, this, this idea of kind of, melting the boundaries and distinctions the the between traditional um you know sort of sort of like strictly codified realms of work like you are either in a band or you are a composer obviously it's all all one thing it's just music
0: well i i hope you know that my like the mission statement of my podcast is to help to help you like
1: thank you a, thank you mission
0: statement in my podcast is why doesn't everyone know who Craig Wedren is
1: <laughs> thank you thank you I mean truly it's not something at this point that I um, that I ponder too nastily or or even too often but you know we're all competitive little bitches <laughs>
0: Thank you, Craig, for coming on the podcast. This is
1: my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And a happy uh, anniversary.
0: Many, 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 many more. Thank you. Um, So if people want to check out your music, what is the best way for them to do that?
1: Well, I mean, unfortunately, I guess I would have to say Spotify. It's a bit of a mess, my um, Spotify identity up there. It just gives such... It's so strange what soundtracks do and don't get released. So it gives a slightly skewed impression, I think, of, of the music that I make. But, but go to Craig Wedren at Spotify, and I'm on all the socials um, just under my name, Craig Wedren. And obviously, Shudder to Think.
0: Well, thank you again. Like I said, um, this is probably like well, a bucket list sort of interview for me. Um, so much of your music has been uh, part of my life for twenty-five plus years now.
1: Thank you, thank you. That uh, that that touches me. I appreciate it.
0: And uh, hopefully, I can see you again live.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Um, I actually have a new band called Flesh Car, and so far, it's an improvisational band with another composer named Jarek Bischoff and um, a drummer. Um, named Jacob Richards who actually plays all the drums on New Amsterdam which is a very drum heavy soundtrack Um, we're gonna be playing our first shows in the LA area in July and so I'll be super curious to see what becomes of that and uh, other than that I don't have any song concert plans I do a lot of um, live meditation music sort of choral, improvised, like a lot of times I'll, I'll pair up with yoga teacher friends of mine or meditation teacher friends of mine and we'll rent out a studio or go to somebody's beautiful house and everybody will lie down on the ground and just kind of get lost for an hour or so. Um, I might do a tour of that stuff. Those are called Sabbath sessions. And those are also up on my Spotify account. So you know, just to just to confuse everybody more, just throw more <laughs> different, more different styles and projects into the mix. Wow,
0: well, very cool. Um, i'm I'm excited to hear about Flesh Car, and I'm excited to hear about everything that you're working cool. on in the future. Thanks so much, Ron. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life make sure to visit our website, soundtrackinlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.